Um, but we live in a divided house as a family. Uh, don't need to get uh, concerned. Um, but it turns out that Rachel is a Star Wars fan, um, and I am not. Uh, now, I know, there you go, I'm already being heckled for not liking Star Wars. I know for some people, speaking about Star Wars is like speaking about the Bible itself. Um, but I offer this as a disclaimer before that I don't really know anything about Star Wars. So if I get this wrong, then don't stone me for heresy. Okay? Um, be gracious, I urge you. Um, however... From what I understand from Star Wars um, is that each of the Star Wars film, films is a, film, is a story in its own right. It has a beginning, it has a middle and an end. They all have their own unique story. But one of the things that makes Star Wars unique is the films were all made in a jumbled up order. Who thought that was a good idea? I have no idea. But they start in the middle, then they jump to the end, then they go to the beginning, and no one has a clue what's happening when. This is me speaking as someone who doesn't really know anything about Star Wars. Um, and maybe that's fine. Um, but each film is unique. It has its own story, its own life. But in order to see the bigger story, the proper story, the full picture of the story of Star Wars, you need to watch each of those mini-stories in the story, in the uh, sequence in which they were intended to be able to grasp the full order um, and the full story as it was meant to be told. Am I right? Can I hear an amen? Almost, I'm getting told. Okay, right. Well, just like Star Wars, throughout the Bible, there are lots of different stories. And the stories all start with a new beginning, which is the time that we are starting together this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost, and we remembered the news of the church as the Holy Spirit came upon his church, fanning the church into flame. In the Old Testament, we see the new beginnings as God reveals himself to Abraham and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. We see the new beginnings as his people are set free from its slavery in Egypt. The new beginning as they leave the desert and enter into the promised land and much, much more. And today we start another series looking at another new beginning. The start of Jesus' ministry. And this new beginning isn't just another in the series, um, but it is the central foundation that the rest of the story all hinges on. The Old Testament builds up to this moment of Jesus being born and his ministry commencing upon earth. And then uh, the, and, uh, the Pentecost story will be ending without Jesus' story. This is the central moment in the story of Scripture, the story of history, and the story of each one of our lives. Jesus' ministry being started on earth, this seasons of a new beginning. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 3 together. Um, but before we go any further, we're going to pray. We're going to listen to God's Word um, and that we might hear what he has to say to us together this morning. So let's pray.
Father God, we thank you that you are the God of new beginnings and for the wonderful way that you revealed that truth to us through Jesus. And so, Lord, as we come to look at your words together now, we pray that you would be speaking through it. May these not just be words on a page, may it not just be words that I am speaking, but may your spirit be speaking. This morning we pray, and may we have hearts and ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, if you've got your Bibles and would like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read the first 12 verses together, and the words will be on the screen as we read them as well. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We, are, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can rise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I have baptized you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This morning I've entitled the sermon Ready, and uh, it's an interesting and challenging passage, some of the language that is used within this. This comes straight off the narrative of Jesus being born um, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And following Jesus's birth um, from, and fleeing into Egypt, we don't know much what happened in the next 25 years or so. We know that Jesus eventually returned back to Nazareth, um, having fled for the fear of uh, death and persecution. We know that at the age of 12, he was teaching in the temple, and even at the age of 12, was leaving these gifted um, scholars and academics um, and rabbis astounded as he taught and as he opened up God's words. 
But that's about all we know. There's not really much more detail about Jesus' first 20 or 30 years or so. But then, in Matthew chapter 3, a new era breaks in. And it all starts with John the Baptist. One thing that is always of a new era is that it is disruptive to all that has gone before. Uh, We've just lived through this ourselves. We talk about being in a post-pandemic world. The world before the pandemic is different to that which we are living in now. We are in a new era. Our way of living has been disrupted from that which we were used to previously. New eras are disruptive. They make us move forward. John the Baptist himself was an odd and disruptive character. Um, I've never walked down a fashion catwalk, but I don't imagine if I ever did, I'd be wearing what John is wearing in this passage. The Jews had long expected that before the Messiah returned, the great prophet Elijah would return now great arrival of this new era to God's people. Israel had not seen a prophet in 400 years. Put that in context back to the 1600s today. No prophetic voice to God's people in 400 years. Even the stories of what God had done in the past would be fading just because of the passing of time. But then John turns up, dressed like Elijah, speaking like Elijah. He calls the world to repentance and to prepare the way for the Lord because a new era is at hand. In 400 years, people had not heard the voice of God. And then all of a sudden, a new era broke through. Today, let's remember that no matter how long it's been, how distant God might feel, how quiet he might seem, even when God seems quiet, he has never forgotten us. He is always faithful. He's always working. He has a plan and his voice will be heard. John operated out in the desert as a prophet, known as a man of God, but also as someone who spoke God's word out into the world. So being a prophet in itself was a disruptive job. Throughout the Old Testament, it was the prophets who were well known for speaking truth to power. Uh, It was the prophets who had to run for their lives because kings and rulers didn't like hear what the prophets had to say to them. John preached and lived out in the desert because he wasn't welcome by the establishment. He was a disruptive voice for all around. He wasn't welcome in the cities. He wasn't welcome in the temples. The religious and cultural leaders he called a brood of vipers. John spoke God's word. And as so, he was disruptive so that a new era might begin. If we're to see this new era that 
God wants to bring into our lives, then we too need to be prepared to be disrupted. We need to hear the challenge of the minority voice that God wants to speak into our lives that challenges the status quo. In our world today, we have so many narratives that we feel like we have to live by. But are we open to hearing the word of God into the midst of our lives that we might embrace this era that he is calling us and leading us into? Notice where God's voice calls as Isaiah 40 verse 3 as he uh, proclaims this uh, message to the people of Israel. He says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The voice out into the wilderness. Are we willing to go out into the wilderness to hear and to meet with God? To hear his voice, to prepare ourselves for all that he is preparing to do. New beginnings only begin with disruption but they also bring with them new opportunity. Will we be ready to hear what God is doing? Will we embrace the new life that he is stirring into being? Or will we cast his words out into the wilderness? Out into the wilderness of our lives because they're just too disruptive too difficult, too uncomfortable to hear what he has to say to us. A new beginning is a disruptive beginning. But John's message also centered our repentance. The message to his preaching in verse 2 is a call to repentance. His message to the leaders of the day was to live a life in keeping with repentance. He baptized people as a sign of their repentance. If there is one word that you could sum up John's ministry with, it would be repent, a call for people to repent. Now that word repent in our alone and in our culture today makes us feel somewhat uncomfortable. But this is the essential part of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. You can't experience the good news of Jesus without repenting. It's like, go on a diet, but I'm going to eat all the junk food that I like. The two are multiply, or uh, uh, um, what's the word? Um, Mutually exclusive, thank you. Uh, You can't have one without the other. Repentance wasn't just the message that John came to share, but it was also Jesus' message. Jesus, too, spent his ministry calling people to repent. Luke 13, a bit bluntly, he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus came to give life and give his life in all its fullness. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. But if you don't repent, 
instead of growing into life and instead of embracing the abundance of life, you will perish and fade away. The message of repentance continued from Jesus into the early church as well. In Acts 3, in another of Peter's great sermons, he says to the crowd, this is how God what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I think there are three elements of repentance which it's really helpful for us to hear in this passage. Firstly, repentance starts with us turning to God. Turning to God means turning away from everything else. John's issue with the leaders that he called a brood of vipers was not specifically what they stood for, but it was that they were proud. That in their pride, they were refused to repent and turn back for God. That they didn't live their lives in a way that was in keeping with repentance. Could it be that we too might be proud, too concerned about our own self-image, too dependent on our own self-reliance and resilience, too set on our own hopes, on our own plans, that we refuse to turn away and turn back to God with humility in our heart. As we turn to God, Peter tells us also that our sins will be wiped away. So we turn to God, and then we are cleansed by God as part of our repentance. I'm sure that none of us here today is under the illusion that you are a perfect person. Um, If you are, hope that you will not be offended if I call you deluded, uh, because none of us is perfect. Even if we think we're a pretty nice person, kind, considerate, rational, a nice person to be around, I think we can all recognize those blotches of darkness in our lives, the mistakes we wish we'd never made, the errors and the hurt and the pain that we have caused, the overreactions we couldn't control, the thoughts and attitudes we hide away in our hearts. Repentance isn't just about saying sorry, but it goes much deeper than that. As we repent, it cleanses us of our sins. It restores our lives. The areas of darkness that consume us are washed away, leaving us pure and fresh in the eyes of God as well as in the eyes of those around us. This cleansing that repentance offers then leads to our third thing, that and that is to times of refreshing as God moves and reveals his love and love in the midst of our lives. And it all starts with point one with us turning to God, that we might be cleansed, that we might be refreshed. Tim Keller, the American pastor and theologian who recently died, said this, the purpose of repentance 
is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ. The purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to wean our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. Repentance leads us to joy. It stores us, it refreshes us, it cleanses us to be who people or who God called us to be. Yesterday, who had a cold shower at the day? It was a hot, sweaty day. Trust me, I was out in that sunshine for eight hours yesterday. I was minging. Uh, but then I got in a nice cold shower and I was cleansed and I was refreshed. That's what repentance does to us. When you get in the shower tonight, think I'm, being repent- I'm, I'm repenting of my sins in the shower and being cleansed and refreshed as I do so. There's an image for you at church this morning. We live in a time where just mentioning the word repentance can give heebie-jeebies. Do we live in a time that is full of self-pride, of self-development, of self-realization? If we repent, we've got to say we're rubbish and we're ourselves down and we're being judged. If we are to embrace the new era that God wants to bring into our lives, we need to hear the words of John the Baptist and the early church and the message of Jesus. We need to hear this call to repent and be cleansed and be refreshed as we do so. We need to be prepared to lay down our lives, just like the Jewish leaders of the day. Observing religious and cultural laws is not enough to get into this era that God is bringing forward. Our religious pedigree is not enough. You could have been coming to church here for a hundred and thirty years, Um, and be the longest standing member the world has ever seen. But if you haven't repented, you're missing the point. Without repentance, we will not catch what Jesus has come to reveal to our world. Without repentance, we will never be ready to embrace the new beginning that God is preparing for us for. As John calls the church to repent, he also promises us that as we do so, we will find a greater and a brighter future. Baptism would have been a familiar concept for the Jewish crowd that John was speaking to. In the Jewish context, uh, baptism was a part of an initiation ceremony. It was for people of a non-Jewish descent, also known as Gentiles, who decided that they would like to become a part of Israel and God's people. So alongside making sacrifices and circumcision, all those who were initiated into Israel entered into a bath of water as a symbol of their cleansing as they joined the Jewish people. John then offered different slightly to that of the Jewish tradition because John's baptism was not just for the Gentiles, but the Jews were included as well. As I mentioned earlier, religious identity alone were not enough. Repentance of the heart is what God really wanted. But then in verses 11 and 12, John goes one step further and gives us an even greater hope of what is to come. Whilst he was 
baptize him with water as a sign of cleansing and of our repentance. John then points to Jesus. And as he does so, he says, one greater than me is coming. I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. And Jesus will no longer uh, baptize with water alone, but with the Holy Spirit and fire, fanning the church into flame. Whilst water was a sign of cleansing, our past, washing away all that had gone before, Jesus' baptism is far greater. Because Jesus doesn't just offer to cleanse our past, also offers to transform our lives going forward as well. Water washes, but fire in the Bible is symbolic of purity. In verse 12, John uses this image of a winnowing fork to illustrate this concept of purity as well. Uh, The uh, chaff, the stuff that nobody wanted, is all burned up and blown away. And left behind is the wheat, that which is valuable, precious, and life-giving remains. John's message is clear. A new era is dawning. A new beginning is at hand. God is on the move. He is bringing his transformation into our world. His spirit is going to be poured into the lives of all those who repent and turn to him. The question is, will we be ready? Will we get ready? A greater future is available to all of us. John was looking forward to Jesus' arrival, to the outpouring of his spirit on the church. But today, that future is at hand for all of us today. We look forward with expectation and anticipation. We can and experience it today. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready to receive it? Are we ready to repent? Are we ready to receive the life that Jesus offers to us all? A new era is beginning. Repentance is the start of the gospel, the start of the good news of Jesus. If we want to get ready, we need to get ready to, I'll be ready to repent. In 1 John, we're told this, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are all called to repent. Today we can know and hold on to this truth and this hope that as we repent we do not expose ourselves to rebuke and judgment and trample ourselves down. Instead, as we repent, we encounter the faithful forgiveness of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel, and it is true for each one of us here today. No matter what is going on in your life at this moment, no matter what has gone on in your life before, 
if you're willing to turn to God, if you're willing to lay down your pride, to switch your focus, to repent, then he is faithful. He will forgive. He purifies and he transforms each one of us. In Jesus, we can all experience a new beginning. Are you willing to get ready to embrace it? Are you prepared to be disrupted? Are you ready to embrace the greater future that Jesus offers to us all? Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you are the God of new beginnings, that you came to reveal a new era of hope that we can all hold on to and look forward to with great hope and expectation. And Lord, this morning we open ourselves up to disruption that we might know that new era coming into form in our own life. And so we once again, as we prayed a couple of weeks ago, say, come, Holy Spirit. Come into our lives. Reveal your new era. Disrupt us and move us forward into your way, we pray. This morning we recognize our need to repent. And so whether we've been here for a thousand times or whether today is our first time hearing this message of repentance, we once again open our hearts in repentance and Jesus, we turn back to you. Maybe there are some of us there today who have got that image of a hot, sweaty day feeling all grimy and gloomy and sweaty and sticky and we actually just long to be refreshed in our lives. Maybe today is the day that you step into the shadow. You take that act and that step of repentance between you and God that you might know his cleansing and your, his refreshing in your life. Lord, forgive us those times when we are full of pride. When we don't repent, when we don't turn to you and fix ourselves stubbornly on things that are on our hearts and our minds and our will instead. Lord, we thank you for that promise that we've had been reminded of as we've drawn to a close this evening or this morning. Uh, that as we repent, you are always faithful. And as you are faithful, you don't judge us, but you to forgive us and call us your child. Jesus, would you continue to reveal more of who you are? In our lives, we pray. Amen.